Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I'm on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Terry Gaspard. She is a licensed therapist, author, and college instructor who specializes in counseling children, adults, couples, and families in a private practice setting. Terry is the owner of MovingPastDivorce.com. And her new book, The Remarriage Manual, How to Make Everything Work Better the Second Time Around, was published by Sounds True in 2020 and was the winner of the American Book Fest 2020 Best Book Award in Self-Help and Relationships. Welcome, Terry. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Catherine. Give us an opportunity to understand how you became interested in divorce and studying, writing about it, learning more, and helping people. Sure. I grew up in California in the 1960s when divorce was becoming quite popular. My parents were divorced when I was eight years old, and I, so I grew up in a divorced family, and yet I never really had the opportunity to talk to anyone about much about my parents' divorce until I became a college student studying psychology. So as I went into my 20s and picked a partner and got married myself, I still didn't have a lot of insights into my parents' divorce, how it affected me, and many aspects of it. So I ended up getting married and getting a divorce myself after about 17 years of marriage. When I went to graduate school, I thought, you know what, I'm really going to delve more into divorce. So I started coupling my own experience with doing some research studies looking at the long-term effects of divorce, looking at divorce adjustment groups, many different aspects. And as a result of my research, I founded my website, which you mentioned, movingpastdivorce.com. And things really took off for me as a writer and an author. And I found that it really was a good niche for me because not only did I have the personal experience in my family and I understood a lot of the stigma and a lot of the myths and misinformation out there about divorce, I thought I have the unique capability of helping people to recover and give them a sense of hope about their future. So I've been really focused a lot on divorce and divorce recovery and now more recently over the last few years remarriage um, because that's becoming more and more common and I'm also happily remarried myself. So that's sort of, that's my story. So what are some of the, what do you think, common misunderstandings or misconceptions about divorce? Well, I think a lot of people know that divorce is hard and it can be challenging for parents and kids, but they don't really understand how you can have a more collaborative, cordial divorce and how by 
keeping your dignity and by focusing on improving your own life and bonding in a really positive way with your children if you have them after divorce. It can be a whole new life for yourself. You can reclaim a lot of aspects of yourself that you, you know, kind of put by the wayside if you were in an unhappy marriage. So even though, of course, no one gets married with the idea of getting divorced, some marriages do need to end, as mine did, and I found myself getting back into writing, getting back into skiing and hiking, and a lot of my hobbies that I had given up as a result of not being in a really happy marriage for 17 years. So I can help people reclaim those parts of themselves, and I, I do think people think that you can't ever recover from divorce or your life's going to be ruined and your kids are going to be forever damaged. And that's not really the case. You know, I think that's a really important thing to emphasize is that people do have this view, as you're saying, that when you get divorced or if you get divorced, that's it. You know, then your life is ruined. And in fact, it can be quite the opposite. It can be that you are getting your life back or you're re-identifying and redefining who you are and doing things that you want to do. So for you, it sounds like, Terry, that you gave up certain activities that you liked doing. I mean, was that because your first husband didn't like to do them or discouraged you from doing them? Well, I did say it was a little bit of both. You know, he's a, he's a great guy. We We really didn't have that much in common. And I didn't understand when I was in my early 20s, we met when I was in college, the importance of compatibility. Um, not that you have to have everything in common, but at least some things. And so I think that, you know, the fact that I really wanted to have children and had children pretty quickly and focused a lot on them and tried to, you know, hold things together in my marriage, which you know, wasn't all bad, but I just ended up giving up too much of myself. I kind of morphed into a slightly different person, not completely different, but, you know, I became more sedentary, a lot more inactive, and, and found out through my divorce and joining a hiking group and getting back into skiing and then also pursuing writing, which I had done a lot when I was um, in high school and college, that I could have both. I could pursue a lot of my interests, still love being a mom, and eventually, after dating for a few years and figuring out the kind of partner who was a good match for me, have a successful second marriage. So it is possible to have it all, but sometimes you need to be alone for a while after divorce and reclaim those parts of yourself, as you mentioned, and find the truth of, okay, Maybe, you know, this marriage wasn't the best for me, but, you know, how can I get along with this person who's now my ex and try to, um, you know, have some dignity? And that's, it worked out well for us because we always kept the best interests of our two children in mind. My two, two kids in my first marriage are now adults and they're doing well. That's wonderful to hear. So Thanks. talk to me about about friendship and the importance of friendship in people's lives what happens when people get married to their friendships, and certainly what happens when they get divorced. Well, it was a really big surprise to me, Catherine, that some of my friendships did not survive my divorce. And it took me a while to figure out why that happened. But then what I did, I was able to really hold on to a couple of key friendships. One of the things that prevents people 
from staying friends with you or causes friendships to take a dive after a divorce is that divorce can be threatening to married people. You know, sometimes they think it's almost contagious that if you're getting a divorce, maybe they'll end up getting a divorce, or sometimes they think that divorce people might end up wanting to have a relationship with their partner. It gets pretty complicated. So there were some people, not my closest friends, but there were some people that literally dropped off the face of the earth, and they stopped inviting me. This was pre-COVID, of course, when we used to get together in person a lot. They stopped inviting me to parties or to gatherings and that kind of thing. And that's unfortunate. And some of that is really because they're sadly still, and especially in times past, but even now, there is stigma about divorce. And some people don't really understand some of the concepts that we talked about a few minutes ago. And then divorce is also very polarizing. It causes people to feel like they have to take sides. So often they feel like if they're friendly with one partner, they can't be friendly with the other. So let's say you were friends with someone that you knew from your ex-husband at work, and then you became friendly, you know, and then the friendship, you know, was more like with you and your husband and them and their husband. They feel like they can't be friends with you and with your ex. So it causes people to feel like this just isn't going to work out. So then they drift off. And then another issue is fear. Like I said, some people are just afraid of divorce or they don't want to talk about it. And if you start talking about your divorce with them, which I recommend, you know, that you don't do too much of because sometimes people get uncomfortable or flooded if you talk too much about that, then they don't really know in all cases know what to say they get easily overwhelmed by it. So I guess feeling threatened, that polarizing aspect that I mentioned, feeling like they have to take sides, fear about divorce or hearing about it, feeling like it's almost contagious, and then some of that social stigma that still exists. Those are some key reasons that I found out in my research. Once I understood it, fortunately, um, I was able to hold on to some of my friendships, and then I was really careful not to lose sight of the fact that if I talked incessantly about my divorce, that sometimes overwhelmed some of my friends. So seeking counseling was helpful for me. And then, of course, you know, then I could talk to my friends when I saw them about other things as well and show interest in them, of course. That's always important. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here giving you information and thoughtful dialogue that you need in order to divorce with dignity, available here on WVOX 1460 AM in Westchester every other Wednesday and also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts as well as on the podcast website, divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking today with Terry Gaspard about the role of friendship and divorce and, and frankly just surviving and thriving through the divorce process. And Terry, it sounds so much like you were working and using your own experience. You're sort of like your, one of your own research, I don't know, cases <laughs> in, yeah. in terms of understanding your, your sort of like internal experience while you're also talking to other people about their internal experience. And, and what's that like to compare what's going on for you individually in your experience, which is obviously very personal, with listening to other people's experiences, which for you at least is more objective? 
Well, in my role as a therapist, of course, I don't do that in my clinical work. You know, I might, I would share, for instance, something really general, like I've been through a divorce. I know how hard it is to feel isolated. And, you know, I, I of course, use many therapeutic techniques with my clients, including cognitive behavioral therapy, which I've been trained in. With my coaching clients, I can give more direct advice through my website and I'll share stories here and there to, to really help them see that they're not alone because there are some divorce support groups out there, but there aren't as many as there used to be. And I think sometimes people feel extremely alone and there's, there's so much of this feeling like nobody really understands them. So it is helpful to share a little bit to let them know that, you know, there are people that get through it that have the divorce experience and come out the other end in a positive way. My publishing agent, I have an agent, she said that I do well when I write about my own experience. So some of the early writing I did for Huffington Post, I really definitely talked about a little bit about my own experience and found that it was very powerful as a way to communicate with others through writing. So I, you know, I think that there is some truth in learning through your own experience, doing research, sharing with others what you've found. And, you know, certainly no two people have the same exact path and everybody has to find out what's right for them. But there are some common aspects of divorce, like the fact that it takes at least two years to kind of recover from it and lots of things I found out about remarriage and so on that can be very helpful to share with others. I definitely want to talk about remarriage, but before we get there, I want, I want to say that one thing that I think that my clients experience, and I'm also divorced and remarried, so I also use my personal experience as a way, as kind of a window to help people, because I think you're right, that divorce is very isolating. And even if you're completely surrounded by friends who are married and have never experienced it, and you know that they don't want to hear about it all the time, right? I mean, it's going to get tiresome and old for them to only be talking about the tragedy in your life. And that's not a good way to have any friendship going forward. Mm-hmm. You have it be one-sided, right? But I find that sometimes the social life of the couple was organized by one of them. It's frequently the sure. woman, but not always, right? When the couple breaks up, then people choose sides, right? And and, and yep. it's, I don't know, they so much choose sides, but they don't feel like they can be friends with both. With polarizing both aspect. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the in-laws. All right, well, you were a member of our family, but now you're not. You know, like, mm-hmm. who's done, right? And yep. and so, first of all, why does that happen? And is there is there any reason or any to try to have it not happen? Or And if, if you want it to not happen, how could you keep everybody more comfortable and continuous as friends? Well, there's a cognitive distortion that we as humans tend to use, and that's taking things personally, personalization. So I think one way to avoid that from happening is to try to not take things so personally and just realize that people have fear of the unknown. And they also, like I said earlier, they're they're fearful that they could get a divorce. So if you just let people know you know, I'm more than my divorce, I'm getting through this, and show that you're really strongly interested in staying in touch and staying connected, 
And some of this can be done through your kids if you have kids, you know, to go to like a, a family gathering or that kind of thing with your ex-in-laws or, you know, there are a lot of opportunities through school graduations and those kinds of things to be friendly. So if you're more comfortable yourself and you don't take things personally, if you feel like people are not reaching out to you and you just basically prevent yourself from withdrawing too much and try to be open and receptive, you know, over time things can improve. But I think we get stuck in a lot of negative thinking and we think, oh, I can never be friendly with these people and they're never going to, you know, be uh, welcoming to me. And that's not always the case. So just being being more, I think, just authentic in your own thinking and and realistic that, yeah, it could be a little uncomfortable because of all the reasons we've discussed, but it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be, oh, I'm going to be really close with my ex's family or these former friends that we socialized with prior to divorce. I'm either going to be really close or I'm not going to be close at all. It's just a matter of trying to be open to new kinds of relationships. Do you think that sometimes people who are going through a divorce self-isolate as a way to try to avoid pity or to avoid social awkwardness? Oh, definitely. I know I did that. And and you also, you, you just feel somewhat judged by other people. And certainly people do make judgments. You know, I recommend to anyone that has a friend who's going through a divorce, really just listen and try not to and accept the person and try not to make judgmental comments or make certain assumptions you know, like, for instance, they people often wanted to know with me and other people, like, who caused the divorce? Or something bad, they might make the assumption, something bad must have happened. That's not always true. Sometimes people literally get a divorce because they weren't compatible and they bickered a lot or they just were very unhappy. They went their separate ways. And a lot of the, I work with couples as well, a lot of the couples I work with end up deciding to get a divorce because they live separate lives. They're married, but they live like roommates and and or when they do get together, they argue a lot. So people are afraid of being judged and also they feel somewhat victimized. So those are all reasons why some of us avoid having contact with others after a divorce. But certainly it gets a little bit easier after the first um, couple of years. Hopefully over time, you know, that, that old adage, time heals, is certainly true. Things do and can and do improve. Yeah, I think that's true. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues, talking about divorce and dignity and the best ways to make those two things come together. We're available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30. And I'm talking today with Terry Gaspard about the role of friendship and divorce and surviving divorce and repartnership, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But, Terry, if people are interested in learning more about you, your book, or getting in touch with you, how can they do that? My website is movingpastdivorce.com. And I have uh, new blogs on there every two weeks. I have a link that they can contact me for coaching. I have resources on my website. I'm also very active on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So those are all ways that people can find out more about the work that I do and be in touch with me. 
great. And so now let's talk about repartnership because I think that a fear of being forever alone is one of the big fears that people have when they think about divorce. And so I think I love your story about finding a new partner and remarriage, and it's not necessary to necessarily remarry in order to repartner, and people could exactly. choose to do it or choose not to do it. So talk to us about that, Terry. What are some rules or best practices or thoughts about how to find someone else to spend your life with and not just repeat the same mistakes you made the first time? Big topic, <laughs> but I'll try, I'll try to cover some key points of it with the research that I did over many years from my second book, The Remarriage Manual. First of all, I wouldn't jump into getting remarried right away. Like I said, it takes a couple of years where you want to develop new friendships and hopefully do some dating, not with the idea of going into a rebound relationship you know, or, or getting coupled up too quickly. That said, I do truly believe, like I say in my book, that love may be sweeter the second or third time around. But unfortunately, once the bliss wears off and you get, you know, you get into the reality of living together, especially if you have kids, sometimes people become very disillusioned. So one thing that's important to keep in mind is having realistic expectations, that when you're blending your two worlds, your two different, you know, backgrounds and ways of doing things, you need to have good communication skills. And you can avoid repeating the past by being aware of what some of your baggage is. Now, in my book, I have chapters on that topic, how to ditch your baggage, you know, how to be better able to deal with triggers and not have the same patterns of miscommunication and poor conflict resolution that you might have had in your first marriage. And you can also learn ways to connect in a more intimate way with your new partner. I've got lots of examples in my book of what's called rituals of connection so that you don't make work too big of a focus, especially in the evening, and you, even if you have children and they have children, a lot of people live in blended families, that you still have several hours a week together as a couple. And so, you know, rules are important, but I think it's really understanding these different pathways that you can form a healthy relationship and not be afraid to deal with the not-so-positive things like mistrust that comes up or, you know, financial stress, which there tends to be, you know, often in any marriage, baggage from your other relationships or marriage. And embracing your role as a step-parent is really a key point, too. I have a chapter on that, realizing there's no such thing as instant love. Usually between a step-parent and a child, it takes time to develop. So just Keeping in mind that love in a second marriage can be really wonderful and very inspiring. Mine has worked out extremely well. But you're going to have some ups and downs, and you have to be willing to hopefully work through through those together with an attitude of we're in this together. You know, I think it's really interesting that when you talk about putting families together with children, it's mm-hmm. very different than it is when you're putting a family together without children, right? Because you're not just balancing in a first marriage, say, or at least traditionally, the mm-hmm. couple comes together and they learn how to 
keep house together, but you, whether or not they're married or not, and they figure out their routines about who's going to do what and, and who's going to do the other things and figuring out their communication and their patterns for all of that. And then you introduce children in and it's very dis- it's disruptive, but then you get new patterns and you evolve that way sort of slowly. So when you put a family together with children involved, you're all of a sudden instant big family, right? A much bigger family just by right. the way it, it works. And that, I think, puts a stress on a relationship that is requires, and I think you're saying this, it requires real intentional patterns or intentional mm-hmm. communication because I think yeah. that you're doomed for failure the second time around if you just assume it's going to work out okay without right. planning for it to work out okay. What that's, do you think about that? That's so true. Things do not necessarily run, you know, automatically, smoothly. When you have children, Children often have an attitude of a step-parent being a rival, for instance, for their parents' attention, so they're, they don't necessarily take to their step-parent right away. And step-parents don't always feel comfortable in their role. They often feel like an outsider. That's a common dynamic that I see. I saw it in my own step-family, and I, saw, I see it in many families. So by... Having open communication, and I do a lot of these coaching sessions with clients and helping people understand some of these feelings are really normal, you know, feeling like an outsider if you're a step-parent, or in some cases as as a biological parent, feeling torn between your kids and your new partner or spouse. But understanding is only the beginning. You have to have more positive communication skills. And just in 30 seconds that we have left, Terry Gaspard, what is a one great hint for getting those positive communication skills? Well, I think one thing you can do is instead of saying what you don't like about your partner and focusing on complaints and criticizing them, which is common, is to try to think of what you would like and state it in a positive way. For instance... Instead of saying you're always late, you make me wait for you, you don't care about me, try saying I would really appreciate it if you could text me if you're running a little late so I'd have more of a heads up. I love spending time. We're out of time, but that's great advice. Thank you so much. Okay, you're welcome.